0: Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, hello, and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. With me is Chase Wilsey. Chase, how you doing? Good. Good to be here. We got some uh, big things today going on uh, outside of the office. We'll save that for a little bit. I actually just mention real quick and talk more about it. But you got the golf tournament today. I got the car show today, the charity car show down in Embarcadero. But uh, let's talk about something that's on everyone's mind, and that is the inflation. And the highly anticipated inflation numbers came out Uh, this past week for July, and uh, better than expected, I've kind of talked about this, but uh, July inflation was 8.5%, a decline from June's inflation numbers of 9.1%, and also very important, below the forecast of 8.7%. Now, one month does not make a trend. However, I believe this could be the start of the decline to December 31st, couple of reasons. I think that we have continued to post about different commodities and how their prices have come down. And it would take some time to get through to the consumer.
1: Now, I believe we're starting to see the benefit of those declining uh, commodity prices and uh, also to the supply change at this time. Well, they will not. Kind of drop and continue to have the same problems that uh, that we're seeing. They're either going to stabilize or we're going to start to see increased supply, and I I think that's going to continue to rise faster than demand. And also, too, I I believe the consumer will not go back to the high spending. They they are still feeling the effects of the higher prices and will continue to reduce where they can. And the other thing, too, uh, I've also mentioned in the past about the higher base number for inflation which would make year-over-year year inflation numbers lower. We'll have to stay tuned, and we'll have to continue watching watch inflation closely here. But again, just as a reminder, so this year we're, we're seeing this 9% right. inflation. Well, when we hit March of 2023, that sounds weird to say, but— If we had another 9%, that's a huge, huge increase. I don't foresee that happening because you're already lapping such a high base there. Right. And and we have the uh, consumer kind of
0: pulling back already. Uh, And we have talked in the past about how we expect inflation will ease as commodity prices decline. And we're now seeing that unravel as hedge funds have continued to drop the contracts, bringing prices way down for soybeans wheat and corn. Uh, the biggest decline was seen in wheat, which is down 27% over the past three months. Corn has fallen by 24% over the same time period,
1: soybean down 14%. And, and we keep talking about this as well, but it's not going to be reflected tomorrow. It, it takes time for these cost changes to work their way through the supply chain. It, it was the same thing on the way up, where the companies had to kind of pass it on and that's why you're still seeing it kind of lag somewhat and it's going to be the same thing on the way down and also too got to point out here if we have a difficult harvest this summer and, and ukraine exports of wheat stop again this could turn around and go back up very very quickly we've seen how volatile right. these commodity prices can be so we will we'll going to have to continue to watch uh, these numbers as well for inflation
0: yeah and there's things coming up i mean we're in hurricane season that can disrupt things so there's a lot of things going on i guess the midwest is having a Pretty heavy heat heat uh, wave there, um, and and this is what you know we do. We stay on top of this, and and I always try to promote the newsletter at the end. But if you want to keep uh, abreast of what's going on, we see changes. We will always put them on our newsletter. We'll do them on the post. Uh, I'll just promote it now. The newsletter is on our website, smartinvesting2000.com, and we, we will keep you up on that uh, situation and many other <laughs> situations as well. But uh, it, it's just so important to watch what's happening at the very beginning. And, and we're not saying, oh, inflation is going away. It is not going away, but what we were saying, what well, people were like, oh, it's gonna to go to 12, 15, 16%. Like, no, because we're watching the commodities. Uh, oil has come down as well. Uh, there's other things have come down. So it all comes together. And we're not gonna be at zero inflation by December 31st, but we have talked about that by the end of the year. Eh, we could be somewhere around five, maybe 6% or so.
1: Yeah, and the other thing I wanted to talk about too is the PPI. And, and that came out this past week as well. Yep. That's the producer price index. And I, I'm very keen on, on, on this this number here because this is, again, what businesses are paying. And, and I have this conversation all the time, but businesses aren't stupid. They don't just take right. the higher cost <laughs> and be like, oh, well, that sucks. So this to me is a many times a leading indicator for what's going to happen for CPI. And I, I thought it was very, very strange how the market was so excited about PPI when it came out on Thursday. Reason for that is it showed a decline month over month of 0.5% when the estimate was a gain of 0.2%. Everybody's like, oh, this is great news. Well, you look at year over year, it was up 9.8%. Yeah. And yes, that's down from the peak of 11.7% in March and also June's increase of 11.3% but you're decelerating from such a high level <laughs> that it's almost just natural that it's going to come down. Come you down. can't just have 11% on top of 11%. It, that's extremely unlikely. And, and I really think that the market right now, especially these high growth names that we keep talking about, is discounting the Federal Reserve. I think they're thinking they're going to pull back here. But a 9.8% PPI, there's no reason for them to to take the foot off the, the brakes there.
0: Yeah off the brakes put off the gas, I'm gas. Sorry. Yeah, okay right. I was just all fired yeah. up about it <laughs> I know. Um but it's true and, and that's one thing like oh they're, they're not going to increase they will increase maybe there'll be no talk about a 1% increase maybe not even a three quarters but I'd say at least a half because again we still don't have and, and their, their target remember their target is what two to three percent I think is a target inflation, inflation yeah. yeah and so we're way off that level now I don't want them to go too quickly yeah. because they could force the recession worse and again mathematically we're in a recession but we still have a great jobs market so people are are doing okay because they have a job and can get another job if they lose their job so but it's important to watch this stuff closely and uh, it, it also and again we talk about investing in businesses and so forth um, you got to see how it's going to affect the businesses because we know if that inflation does continue to rise, people won't buy stuff, and um, it, it, it's just you got to watch this stuff where it starts in the beginning. It takes a lot of time. People yeah. will wonder what we do with their time all the time.
1: Yeah, and I, I think you got to really be careful, as we kind of said, because it comes September. I, I believe that's the next Fed meeting. Is right now it's about a 50-50 chance for a 05 percent increase or a 075 percent increase right. well we're gonna get retail sales before then i believe we'll get another cpi report perhaps in september i don't know the exact date of the meeting but if you have a surprise of the upside all of a sudden the chances increase to 075 percent that's where you're going to see again the the nasdaq and the high growth names i, I think really take it on the chin so you, you got to be careful here i i think that inflation just decelerating is not enough of a story to have a lower concern of rising interest rates. Yeah. And, and, and long term. Right. And, and
0: I was thinking the same thing you are. I believe we get another CPI, PPI report before the the Fed meets again, which would be helpful. But even if it goes from you know eight percent down to seven and a half percent, they still gotta keep tightening like, because there's that's still too high. And and that could be a, a negative. And, and I'm talking about uh, when I talk to our clients and so forth that we do see our portfolio ending up, you know, very well for the year but I think there still could be one more little hiccup here. We've had a nice uh, last couple weeks here. Um, be prepared, I, I believe, for another you know slight downturn. I don't think we're going back down to the June levels, but it's not like, oh, clear ceiling from here to December 31st. Yeah. So well, let's talk about uh, things that we talk about on our radio show our podcast, uh, the smart investing show, all these things we talk about. One of the things we talk about, and you, you know, when we go through the valuation numbers we talk about uh, we cover the valuation uh, price is ta- price to tangible book value, which backs out intangible assets. Now when the economy slows down and markets decline, this is when investors can begin to see intangible asset write downs. Now, Currently, intangible assets are now count for about 30% of the total assets of the 500 largest U.S. companies, which does not include banks and real estate firms. Compare that to 10 years ago when it was only 5%. Now, with higher interest rates, lower growth projections, and lower stock prices, this can cause some companies to do what's called an impairment of assets and write down all or some of the intangible assets.
1: And that's a an accounting metric that Mm -hmm. is done, I believe, once a year by the the firm. So definitely something you got to keep an eye on. And and some analysts and others say it it doesn't matter because they are are non-cash write downs. We choose to be more conservative and say that these intangible assets represent cash paid at the time of the purchase. And had the company not overpaid for the asset, they would still have that cash on a balance sheet. It is also apparent that Companies that are forced to write down their intangible assets tend to underperform the market for years after the impairment. This is why at our firm, Wilson Asset Management, for uh, well over the last 20 years, when we are investing, we always look at what the intangible assets are during good times and bad times. And this is why, when we go through difficult times like now, we know we have strong companies that can that can weather these difficult periods.
0: And, and, and the thing that the reason why we do that is people coming in now saying, "Well, I'm I'm concerned. I'm conservative." Well, we bought businesses that. You know 12 24 36 months ago that we looked at the intangible assets now it doesn't mean they won't have some write down but they'll not have the major write down because we do look at that to make sure and you're always looking at even during great times you don't want to throw caution to the wind because you never know when you know difficult times will happen and, and this is one that a lot of people don't look about they don't even know what it's about but the intangible assets on a balance sheet can really destroy it, and and uh, who was it, wasn't it an AOL, had a hundred? AOL Time Warner. hundred billion dollar write-down. That was back in like 2000, so a hundred billion dollars, that's yeah. a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, and, and when we do it, we always look at the price of tangible book value, and just kinda help our listeners out here, uh, we compare it to the industry, and a lower number is better, uh, because a higher number means a lot of intangible assets on the balance sheet, you can then go to the balance sheet, and look at, it and say, "Ooh, there could be a risk here." And and you said once a year, I I know they have to test maybe yeah. once a year, or perhaps if they see something that looks like uh, this is a problem, we we need to test it.
1: Yeah, because one of the key ones too is goodwill, and and goodwill yeah. is when you acquire a company over the book value of that business, the difference is goodwill and the reason this is so important is because a lot of times when companies are buying different businesses well you know you're looking at well what are the future cash flows of that business going to be what are the potential synergy savings Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden if that doesn't pan out the same way there is going to be a penalty in the market because you had anticipated that that purchase was going to be more beneficial than it has panned out to be Uh, and another thing to look at here too is I i was thinking while we were talking was it's like being an investor and you know, you invest in a company and it goes down forty percent, fifty percent. Like, well, if I don't sell it, it's not that bad. I haven't taken a loss yet. It is the opportunity cost. Yeah. If you would have bought a different business or you would have invested that in maybe a, a new plant or a new capital expenditures or whatever it may have been, it would have been a better investment. So, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. It's very difficult to run yeah. a business. Things like that are gonna happen but you you still need to make sure as an investor, you're being very cognizant of things like this. And we do invest in companies that have intangible assets, but one thing you wanna look at is like the return on assets. You wanna make sure that's still strong. You wanna look at as well that many times, it could've been purchases many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. Well, how have those synergies and those cash flows planned out for that particular business and where do those brands stand now?
0: And I'm not sure on some of what we call the high flyers. um, I don't think they have that bad of intangible assets mm-hmm. in the balance sheet, but they, they could. And I mean, maybe somebody call them about Amazon or or uh, Apple or Tesla. I, I, I don't think they're in that trouble, but you never know. I mean, I know they have bought companies over time, so it could be, and it's just something you should look at because it could come out of left field and like, oh, you know, yeah. so. Not ready for it. No, yeah, be, be ready for it. Uh, well, let's talk about the population. The current world population is 7.96 billion people, and it's projected by the year 2050, which is now only about 27 years away. It sounds like 2050 is so far away, it's really not 27 years. Uh, the population will grow to 9.7 billion people. The question is, how will we feed all these people? It is very interesting to note how farming, more than ever, needs to be extremely productive. There are companies now that are using drones, robotics, navigation systems, and extensive use of data and analytics to make farmers more productive.
1: Some companies are making headway in this industry as well. Well, look at potential good long-term investments include Deere and CNH Industrial. Uh, This may also be one of those investments that make you feel good because you're doing something to help feed the world and and yet making money on your investment at the same time. Uh, Please note that this could be a very long-term investment, and we have not done necessarily the fundamental analysis on these companies, but I, I know I looked at Deere Gosh, I think it was at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. and I, I like the business because there's a, actually a good article in Barron's, I think maybe it was last year, talking about this right. and, and the strides that they're making, and the big difference that benefits them more than their current type of product mix is it's more service-based, so you get more reoccurring revenue so it it could justify a higher multiple because you know you're not going to have the same cyclicality that you do with the ups and the downs and the uh investment cycles of different companies so it's it's definitely an interesting investment thesis, but of course the numbers always have to make sense. And unfortunately we looked at deer, it was just a little too expensive. A little too expensive. And and one thing that I did notice change in the industry, and, and actually it's
0: happening in software, where you pay service fees. You don't pay for the product-based service mm-hmm. fees. There appears to be, that's the the direction that farming could be going, is that these farmers and producers, they actually pay deer and CNH uh, C, uh, C uh, service fees, which will help smooth out their, their income uh which which again makes people feel better because that income's coming in you need it and so forth it can raise prices a little bit um but yeah it, it, it's definitely changing it's something i would like to get into but as you said they're just a little bit expensive so we need for things to drop a little bit before you buy them but it's just uh interesting area you,
1: you know i was just kind of sitting here thinking as well as I, I wonder if like caterpillar they're not in the the agriculture as yeah, much they're more construction yeah yeah um but if they're looking at ways, cause it seems like more and more businesses are trying to go toward, it's like the SaaS, the software as a service, yeah. you, you know, more and more companies are trying to get that reoccurring subscription revenue. You know, even like General Motors and I think even Ford as well, is trying to look at ways to continually make money off their customers after they sell their vehicles. I wonder if these other companies like Caterpillar it just comes to mind is also looking at ways that they can kind of change their businesses to, to make them a little bit safer with that type of reoccurring revenue. It also helps the uh, business consumer, I'll call it, because then you'll have that big outlay
0: of cash for either the software or whatever the product may be. It, it'll smooth out their expenses to match the income coming in, so it's kind of a nice thing for the business buying that software or buying that, we'll say drone service, or whatever it may be, because your your income will match up with the expenses as opposed to taking mm-hmm. one big hit of, you know, billion dollars with new, ex- new
1: uh, equipment. It is interesting just kind of see how businesses change over time and one thing i was thinking about was when we were when i was in college we learned about just in time inventory. Yes. And they they were talking about how during covid just in time inventory was dead because the supply chains got all messed up and i'm like i think that's just <laughs> like you don't want to have too much inventory there right. because now you're starting to see companies that have to discount that inventory. So that's why like just in time inventory always made sense to me and now it seems like that subscription type model has really expanded itself in, into different business practices as well. It's just a kind of a fascinating thing to, to read about and, and learn about and, and see how business leaders kind of try and change the environment there.
0: And if you like the topics we just talked about, uh, other topics on our newsletter as well, talk about what's going on in Las Vegas, the railroads, uh, the employment numbers, uh, free newsletter at our website. Uh, go to the website address smartinvesting2000.com smart investing 2000.com and you go to the website you'll see newsletter pretty much right in the middle by podcast uh, everything else there and it's free and we get a lot of compliments on that people say it's really very informative i really like reading it and the other thing you and i were talking about walking the door it's not five or six pages you can read it in a short time get a lot of information quickly uh, because who has time to read a five page new- newsletter
1: and so, how many people <laughs> no, not, not many, not
0: these days. So uh, before, uh, let's open the phone lines here. Uh, 833-288-0973. Uh, again, as always, I'll open the phone lines for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. And again, you got uh, investments you're looking at doing. Uh, You're looking at buying some equities. You're not sure if it's a good uh, time to buy or not. We'll go over all the fundamentals for you. Try to point in the right direction uh, as far as what's going on. I just want to talk about the economy or general things on investing. We're here for that as well. Again, phone number 833-288-0973, 833-288. 0973. Well, Chase, after the show, both you and I got to run out of here quickly. Uh, you're running up to your golf tournament for the Fighters Fight Foundation. That uh, is your foundation.
1: Yeah, no, know. Super excited about it. Uh, you know, talked about it a couple times on the radio show, but uh, really great turnout. I mean, we we have our, our taco stand come in. We got, you know, um, A.L. Smith actually donated uh, some of their, their hazy IPAs. That's a great restaurant to go to. Not, we got to go back. We've not been there in a while. We need to go back to A.L. Smith. Brewery, but <laughs> Brewery. yeah, they have the, they have the food right. trucks out, out back too. And then, yeah, just some, some great businesses around town donated for the sign auction we got you know saquon made a nice donation and um duke's down in la Jolla they made a, a very generous uh, gift card donation and then yanni's one of our favorite restaurants mm-hmm. so we have some great prizes, some great auction items. I mean, I think it's going to be a great event. And you know, the big thing is it all goes towards uh, charity and my charity. And, and no, I don't take a salary or anything right. from it. Nobody from my charity takes a, a salary. It's all volunteer-based. And all the money is going to go back to, to women that are fighting breast cancer and, and making sure they, they can kind of enjoy some experiences and spend time with their family and friends uh, just because it's such a chaotic lifestyle when you're going through those treatments and stuff. So super excited about it. i are registrations were up about 50% from last year in year two, so that, that, that's phenomenal. Next year, uh, definitely want to kind of close out that that whole tournament style and, and make sure we, we lock it in. So uh, it's going to be an annual thing, so if you missed it this year, hopefully you can join us next year. And, and also, too, I mean, it's going to be the ranch Bernardo in, but uh, you you got all the golf slots
0: filled, so they can't do anything with that. But mm-hmm. they can still um, go ahead and, and send
1: – uh, donations. Don, donations into the the, uh, the website there, and the uh, website again is just fightersfightfoundation.com. That's fightersfightfoundation.com. Yeah. And then I'll be heading down right after the show to the uh, Corvette Owners Club of San Diego,
0: hosting the 25th Main Street America People Choice Charity Car Show. Now, this does benefit the uh, San Diego Center for the Blind. A $1 donation will be requested by all spectators, but they got a lot of things going on th- down there. They got vehicles from a 1914 Ford Model T, they got Packards, they've got Mustangs, Camaros, T Birds, Lowriders. Uh, street rods, exotics. I, I did drive down, gosh, a lot of fun, driving down my Lamborghini down here to the radio sh- station, driving it down there as well. But uh, another good charity that will be today at the Embarcadero uh, Marina Park North, uh, right near Seaport Village from uh, 10 to 3 today. So I hope you see you there. Come on down and, and say hello there because it's uh, going to be for a great charity. So, all right, uh, phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three, and right now, first time this happened in a long time. All phone lines are open. No one usually got at least a couple people waiting. Oh, there's someone calling in right now. How's <laughs> that <laughs> for timing? So. But um, and, and and again, you know, I want to talk more about the, our posts and our newsletters. The other place that people can get information about us is on our uh, Facebook page, Smart Investing. Uh, there's a group page, Smart Investing, with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Uh, you'll get that stuff daily, information that we try to do uh, every day, at least two posts for you about what's going on. If you miss my segment on KSI, they do on Sundays, or your segment that you do on Fox 5 on Wednesdays, uh, we try to put those there as well, so you can catch up on that. But just great information. We, we really try, and when people come in, we probably see, oh, probably three, man, probably two to four new people a week come in for investing with us is our whole thing, we tell people is trying to educate our investors, our clients on the education, and and I will say that uh, through uh, the the COVID situation, when things dropped dramatically, uh, we said out of seven hundred clients, we probably got I don't know uh, ten calls from people that were you know concerned uh, because again we educate people. We talk about and our slogan is no emotions, just results. And you're gonna see that coming up. Is it tom- is it tonight? No, next next Saturday going to be uh, in the snapdragon stadium oh yeah 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 no emotion just the results so we're advertising on the big the big thing there um because it's so important to be a smart investor and that's well that was my slogan gosh 40 years ago was was smart investing because you you've got to really know what you're doing and not just let the the the
1: emotions control what you're doing there yeah i mean it, it costs people a lot of money and it's it's always the big caveat is i'm not being emotional <laughs> I didn't, I, you're being
0: a little emotional. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not being emotional, but but I know Biden's doing a terrible job, so therefore I need to get out. Well, that's an emotional thing because, again, you got to look at the businesses. Uh, and I've, I've often said this I don't care who the president is, the CEOs of companies will find ways to run that business the best way they can and make
1: money. Make, I mean, that's what it comes down to is making money. And, you know, I was listening to a conference call the other day, and they're in the uh, streaming space, and they were talking about, no, we're not just going for subscribers like the market's wrong on that essentially yeah. we yeah. care about free cash flow and profitability it's like oh that's the type of business i like to own is a company <laughs> that generating cash flow and making money that's and right again it doesn't matter if biden's president or trump's president they're still getting free cash flow and getting earnings <laughs> <laughs> and growing the business over time <laughs> phone numbers here
0: 833-288-0973 let's go out to san diego and speak with greg Greg, you're on the Smart Investing Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you out?
2: Hi, guys, how you doing?
0: Good, how you doing? Um,
2: I'm not, I don't have much in investing. Uh, 401k that I have a little bit of control over and a company retirement plan. But I've recently um, just dabbled with buying one ounce gold coins. And I noticed uh, before the uh, pandemic, it was in the 17, 18 range. A couple of, six months ago, it shot up to 2,000. About a month ago, it dropped down to 1700 and I have no understanding of it other than I occasionally I just bought two ounces about a couple of weeks ago for the grandkids they're they're six months old and three years old it's just kind of for fun but is it is it bad idea I'm not investing that much probably in the next 10 years I'll invest maybe twenty thousand dollars in coins
0: it's, it's, I don't say it's a bad idea, but it's not a good idea. I'll put it, I'll put it that way, because you mentioned $20,000 over the next uh, 10 years, I think you said. Well, I mm-hmm. would love to see that go into businesses that'll actually grow the earnings and grow their sales and grow their cash flow and so forth. But to the coins, I mean, the gold coins, now I don't know if they're rare gold coins, because then there is a value based on the rarity of that gold coin, but if it's just a gold coin that's only based on the value of the, of the gold, um,
2: yeah, it's just the spot price. It's based on the spot price. But I'm not very knowledgeable. I'm a blue-collar worker with like almost no knowledge investing other than what my retirement plan does. So it's not like I'm capable of really controlling it. There's not that much money. It's an occasional, I have, have two $4,000 extra, I'll buy a couple of coins. I'll buy a couple of coins.
0: You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and my concern is, is that we used to be on the gold standard years ago. That was kind of helpful because then you had inflation, the gold would go up and so forth. We are now not on a gold standard. Um, Gold, if gold was gonna be a great inflation hedge, you would probably see gold now up at least, I would say since last year, up at least 40 to 50% because what inflation is doing, and it's virtually been flat at, at best. So, I mean, mm-hmm. they they look nice. They give you something tangible to to give to you. I think you said your grandchildren. Um, yeah,
2: I think that's why I'm getting it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I, I, you. Know, to and be that
0: and it used to be back in, in the day uh, when I first started that I'd say, well, well, go ahead and get like Disney stock. You get this nice certificate with all the characters on it and the, the grandkids will be like that. But you don't get stock certificates any longer. Yeah. And I know you want to give them some, some, right. something tangible, uh, maybe right. maybe half gold coin and a few shares of a great uh, a great uh, company.
1: Yeah, and, and, and one thing I look at here, too, I mean, Brent kind of already talked about how it is flat. Literally, year to date, it is up. 0.06%. Mm-hmm. So it's flat year to date. One year, it's up 2.8%, which it's just crazy. I mean, because uh, let you know, Greg, we actually held a inflation hedge on, in gold in the portfolio at the beginning of the year, and we're severely disappointed with how it responded to the inflation. We knew inflation was coming, and sure enough, it was there. And we gold just did not act the, the way that it, it, it has historically done. And the reason that I'm very skeptical of investing in gold again is. When we talk about buying businesses, we talk about buying those cash flows, those assets, those earnings. You can value all of that. With gold, we always tell people, it's just a piece of metal. Yeah. There's no way to say uh-huh. gold's going to go to 3000 Well, why? Right. Oh, yeah, I, because I've read
2: know. so many articles where, you know, by 2025, it's going to be 4500 and I don't see it anywhere near that happening, but there's so much positive written about gold.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and I think it's in the
2: marketing. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I think it's an emotional thing, and you brought up a great point in the marketing. And there's always going to be somebody that is going to be pushing the positive sides of gold. There's always going to be somebody that's Mm -hmm. pushing the doom and gloom Mm -hmm. and how the stock market's going to crash eighty percent. You (laughs) gotta have gold. You gotta have gold. You're always (laughs) going to see those marketing pieces out there. And I will tell you one other thing uh, with the the grandkids uh, is we have uh, actually one of the girls that works in our offices. Her dad had a bunch of gold. It's a lot harder to sell gold yes. than it is to sell a stock. It, it, it's And also, too, you got to be very careful when you're selling gold because you have to go to a trustworthy source that's not going to rip you off and have a huge spread between the bid and the ask. So it's, it's a much more complicated right. process of but, transacting that, so you've you yeah, got to go, be careful.
2: I've gone to these like gold vault places that when you go in, they actually buy from the mints, and they actually some of them store gold and... You know they're basically spot price, and then they have a premium. And if the premium is reasonable, you can buy if the market drops. If it's not, yeah, you know, like I say, it's kind of the beauty of it that I that I'm purchasing it. Right. <laughs> if that makes any sense.
0: Hey, well, and it does. And, and I don't know if you're married, and I know you. I know you're doing this for for the kids. But your wife might like a gold bracelet that she can at least wear and <laughs> so forth and still have the gold. Yes, yes. And and you'll be like, wow, well, you're the the best husband in the world.
2: Well, well, the two ex-wives have everything. So, uh, <laughs> and and no, that's okay by me. That's yeah. okay by me.
0: <laughs> and no third okay, on the way. I appreciate
2: the, in, I appreciate the input, guys, and the insight. Thank you so much.
0: Okay, great. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 833 833- 2880973 that's 8332880973 and Chase we talked about the uh, intangible you know book values and so forth uh, I did look up uh, Amazon and I just pulled it out of the hat It's like came to my mind the symbol and uh, their their price to book value is 11.1 uh, above the industry at 5.5 now the price of tangible book value is 13.2 but the industry is 75.1. Now, so it looks like Amazon's not in bad shape. I mean, 13.2 is not too bad, but the industry is 75.1. That means, and they're in the internet retail industry. There are some companies in there that are way, way overpriced on uh, the value of their intangible assets, which will probably see right down that. And again, that's the average of 75. You got Amazon at 13.2. That means there's ones out there at 100. And if you own those internet retail companies, you probably want to say... There's gonna be a big write down because uh, sales were slowing down.
1: Yeah, you gotta understand what, what industry they're in because sometimes, too, if they, I'm just gonna use a, a company that, that's maybe buying like IP rights or content and, mm-hmm. and they're bundled in there, generally their price to tangible book value is probably gonna be not material. Yeah. Because those are many, the IP is many times an intangible asset. Uh, the other thing, too, that you talk about is the price to book versus the price to tangible book. That's how you can tell if there's a lot of intangible assets there. If there's a huge discrepancy between the price to book and the price to tangible book, you know there's going to be a lot of goodwill and a lot of intangible assets on the on that balance sheet. Yeah, and, and I'll
0: say Amazon's uh, sitting pretty good on on that one, but um, it, it is hard. You, and that's why when we when we compare our companies to the industry average, we want to compare like things, and and uh, this is set up by uh usually what it's the the who's the that these industries up i think the, there's a couple different ones that set it up and i forget who stock rover uh actually goes through to, to do it but it's a it's a good thing it was the i can't remember the symbols off the top of my head but it's, it's not at the bottom bottom of the page here is it let me just check real quick i don't think it now it's not uh i remember reuters had the bottom of the page yeah but um it, it's just something you want to kind of compare to we always compare apples to apples what we always say and that's why it's so important but again if you have companies that are in the industry and you go and you see internet retail, look at the price of tangible book value. Is it really high? If it is, you need to kind of step back and say, what are they doing? Will this be written down? Have their sales slowed down? Did they buy something, you know, 6, 12 months ago? Did they, well, it didn't happen, but they buy a Peloton at $100 a share and now it's at, what, 10 or 15. Um, so that's what you got to kind of look at there.
1: Yeah, and, and the hard thing, I, I'll tell you, when we talk to people, We are always saying you got to understand how everything works together. Because when you tell me Amazon has a 13 times price to book, uh, that's really high. Like Mm -hmm. Generally, we like to buy something around one to two times. Now, Amazon is overvalued in our opinion. But to me, too, if a company can produce a lot of cash flow with little assets, I'm more okay with an expensive price to book value because they're able to generate earnings and cash flow from a a small subset of assets. That's not a huge deal because your equity may not be as high. But again, it, it that's why you have to understand how all the the metrics work together. People are like, give me your top three metrics that you look at. You can't. You can't. It, it, it You have to understand the full picture. Remember, it takes me back to playing football and my, my college football coach, I was saying, you need to understand the big picture. You, you understand your job and then the whole picture there, and it all works together. It's the same thing here. you got to understand... How the, the sales impact the earnings, which then impact the cash flow. And then where do the assets kind of fit into that? And where are the debt levels? And it's this huge, beautiful painting that all comes together.
0: comes together. Speaking of cash flow, uh, Amazon trades at 41.3 times cash flow. And cash flow is very important, and you've spent a lot for that cash mm-hmm. flow. And, again, it's a great company, but just still way, way overpriced. All right. Uh, let's head out to San Diego and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Investing Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you?
2: Hi, Brent Chase. Um, I would like to uh, hear your opinion on uh, Molson Coors, please.
0: Molson Coors? Okay, you, you changed yeah. up on us there. Okay.
2: <laughs> well, I thought that's what it was. TAP.
1: Uh, oh. but we had P A P. I think it was just uh, oh yeah, probably misunderstanding the that. P okay. and the T. Yeah, I can yeah. see how that gets oh, messed okay. up. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> we
0: we can do it for. Us. Let's just change gears here really quick because we, we tried to as we're talking try to put in the symbol so that we can get to it right away. And uh, but we'll we'll get it up here for you. Okay, there it is. Uh, Molson Core's a beverage a symbol is T A P tap. They're in the. Uh, Industry of beverage, uh, brewers, uh, 5.3% float, no problem there. Institutional ownership is high, 89.4. Last reported earnings were June 30th. They do have a P.E. ratio of 16.9 versus 20.9. Price to sales, 1.2 versus 1.7. Price to book value, 0.9 versus 2. Then price to cash flow, 8.3 versus 9.7. And a peg ratio of 7.5, which is not phenomenal, but the industry is at 25.5. So compared to the industry, that's pretty good. Uh, no earnings per share growth over the past year, and I believe because they probably don't have all the numbers in since they just reported not too long ago. Sales were up a 7% year over year. The industry was 11.6%. You do get a 2.7% dividend from uh, Molson Coors. And also, the payout ratio is about 43%, so that's a pretty good number there. They have increased their deadline by 19% over the past year. Look at the balance sheet. Got a current ratio of 0.8 versus 0.9. Not good, but not bad yet. You don't want to see that drop much more. Debt to equity does look pretty good, though, 0.5 versus 0.7. Uh, Molson quarters does have a net profit margin of 69 Versus 8.3. Return equity, uh, disappointing here for the
1: company and the industry, uh, 5.5 versus 8.3. Uh, current price here for Molson Cores was $56.71. 52 week high was $60.12 in the low. That's Forty-two dollars and forty-six cents. It's done very, very well year to date, though up twenty-four point one percent, while the S&P 500 is still down around nine ten percent. So definitely some encouraging numbers there. We'll say I'm uh, supporting uh, the sales of Molson Coors today. I have, I think I purchased like, I think I purchased like, right? like four hundred <laughs> Coors lights for the <laughs> tournament today. So hey, hopefully that'll reflect in their sales next quarter. <laughs> well, I have
2: drank a few Molsons in my day back.
1: Hey, that that's what we like to hear. <laughs> but looking out to December 2023, we see estimated earnings per share of $4.19. Well, that would give us a target sell price of $69.55. So it's still above that, that current price, even with the, the nice run-up that we've seen so far this year. That would be what we call in our hold category, though, because it is about 23% away. So I wouldn't be a buyer of Molson Cores at these levels, but uh, I also wouldn't be a seller. And I, I think, okay. especially in potential recessions, we always talk about alcohol generally holds up quite well mm-hmm. in recessionary environments as well. Yeah, but- that's what
2: I've heard. I kind of thought it might be in the hold category.
1: Yeah, so, Jim, we can't recommend buying the
0: stock now, but go enjoy a Molson's or Coors Light. Uh, you can do that while you're waiting okay. for the stock to fall. <laughs> All yeah, righty. I
2: like Coors also. Thanks. Appreciate
0: it. All right, Jim, thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, that does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833 zero nine seven three and by the way all phone lines are open so if you call you will get on through. Right now let's talk to our financial planner Harrison Johnson. Good morning Harrison how are you doing this morning.
2: Good morning guys.
3: I'm doing well how are you doing?
0: Good, good. Uh talk about charitable remainder trust this morning.
3: <coughs> yes. So what a charitable remainder trust I wanted to talk about this um number one because I'm working with somebody on it right now. But also with Chase's the uh, big charity golf tournament. I thought it'd be fitting. Good timing. But, uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. So what a charitable remainder trust is, it's an irrevocable trust where you would put assets like a business or cash or real estate or stock or really anything like that, but you would put assets into a trust that eventually would go to a charity. But in the meantime, you would be able to receive income from those assets either for the rest of your life or for a period of time. You, you determine that when you set up the trust. Um, the contribution that you put into this trust is a charitable tax deduction. So you get a deduction for that. And if you put appreciated assets into the trust, you don't have to pay any capital gains on the liquidation of those assets. Um, the tax deduction, its the, the calculation of it is not just the fair market value of what you put in. It's the fair market value of the asset contributed minus the net present value of the income that you would get from that asset for your life expectancy the irs has um formulas and, and actuarial tables for determining that but that's how the tax the cal- the calculations calculated but um so i've got an example of kind of how this would work so let's say you have a piece of real estate uh let's say it's a rental property and it's been depreciated over you know it's its entire useful life so the cost basis is extremely low the market value is high so <clears throat> If you were to sell this, you would have capital gain taxes, state taxes, Medicare taxes, um, depreciation recapture, all kinds of taxes. So let's say a third of the sale price is going to all these various taxes. So if you sell it and pay the tax, the net proceeds that you would receive wouldn't be as much. So if that was reinvested, um, you would have a lower amount of income because after paying these taxes. So if we compare that to using a charitable remainder trust, well, in that case, you could take the real estate, put it into the trust, and then sell it inside of that trust. In that case, there's no capital gains taxes that you have to pay. Once the asset is sold, all of the uh, proceeds can be fully invested in income producing assets. You receive a tax deduction for that contribution of the assets that you put in. And now you're receiving a higher level of income for the rest of your life because you're not, you know, you don't have to pay that huge tax upfront. Um, when you die the remainder of that trust goes to a charity but you know if this is done correctly in many cases the value of that tax deduction plus the increased value of that income that you would get from the rest of your life um, can amount to more than what you would be leaving to that charity so um, as I mentioned I'm working with somebody on doing one of these right now and he may be listening but in that case what we're doing is we're using that tax deduction to then shelter some Roth conversions that we're also doing. The tax deduction happens in the year that you do it, and it can also be carried forward for a few years. So we're using that tax deduction to then allow uh, for some Roth conversions. So it's a it, it's a kind of specialized uh, strategy, but in certain circumstances it, it can make a lot of sense.
0: And Harrison, I think the key word there is the circum- circumstances. The one thing that I kind of look at is that uh, some you know couples don't have children they didn't ever had children and so forth this would make sense for them because they get to enjoy the tax benefits now and also do something good when they pass away it will, it will go to the charities and sometimes i see people donate their their estate to the charity gosh why didn't they do a crt you yes. know so
3: yeah yeah exactly get the tax deduction and get a higher level of income because you're you're dealing with essentially pre-tax um, income as opposed to the, the net proceeds after selling a piece of that.
0: And then one more quick question before I let you go. Um, also, too, you don't have to do the whole estate. You can do part of it, correct?
3: Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, it's pretty flexible in how much you can do. You can choose um, the, the timing of it. You can choose how much you want to contribute. You can choose the level of income that you would receive. And all of those factors determine what that tax deduction is going to be. But, you know, all that is set up when you're, when you're creating the, the trust at the starting point.
0: Great. Well, Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, You have a great weekend, and we'll see you on uh, Monday. You're going to be at Chase's Golf Tournament today, right? Yes. Yes, Yes, we're
3: going to be golfing. Are you golfing? We're going to have some of those molten cores. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's got a lot of them. All
0: right, Harrison, have a good day. We'll see you Monday. Bye-bye. All right,
3: we'll see you Monday. Thanks, guys.
0: All righty. Okay, phone number is 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Elaine. Elaine, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you
1: out? Yes, my question is that the uh, I have a question about this company. Is a darling mm-hmm. ingredients. D-A-R is a symbol.
2: Do
0: you hold that want- or are looking to buy that? Buy you to hey, and what you hear about darling ingredients
1: um from the tv Okay. All
0: right. Well, let's take a look at Darling Ingredients. And I, I like the concept of ingredients. It sounds like it's a simple business. Uh, their symbol is DAR. They are in the packaged food industry. Only 2.2% uh, shares on float. Uh, institutional ownership very high, 97.6%. We do see a P.E. ratio of 18.5. That is just under the industry at 20.4. That's positive. Price of sales a little bit high, 2.3 versus one6 Price of tangible book value, 10.6 versus not material for the industry. And price of cash flow checks in at 16.7, just slightly above the industry at 15.8. But I love this peg ratio, and that's your what you're paying for the future growth based on your price earnings divided by growth, only 0.3 versus 78 for the industry. So that's a nice pig ratio there. Now, the earnings have grown uh, by 41.6% over the past year, better than the industry growth at 25.3. Sales up 33.9% versus 8.8. So those are very good numbers. And the five-year earnings per share estimated made growth by the analysts well, that's forty-three percent versus three point five. So this company's looking pretty, pretty darn good here. Uh, unfortunately, there's no, no dividend. They, they don't pay any dividend. Uh, the balance sheet uh, current ratio one point six versus one point three. Debt to equity only 0.9 versus one. So that's a positive. Net profit margin twelve point six versus seven point nine. Return equity is nineteen point eight versus 29.9. So I think it's going to come down to what we're paying for this company. Jace, what do you got there?
1: Yeah, just real quick. I, I, I like this business a lot. It's uh, They actually work with one of our companies in our portfolio where they produce uh, renewable diesel. So oh. they actually take animal byproduct and they take you know used cooking oil and then they produce that, that renewable diesel. And the cool thing about renewable diesel is you don't know it's renewable diesel. It just functions like just diesel. diesel. You can right. put it in a diesel car. I always thought... <laughs> you know, this would be, I think, a a good potential green solutions. You're just using stuff that we already have as waste yeah. and producing energy. But uh, I digress on that point. Uh, let's take a look here at the numbers. Current price for Darling Ingredients, well, it's $77.44. 52-week high is $87.59, and 52-week low, $55.71. So up about 11.8% this year, uh, which is a good return again against the S&P, which is down 10%. I go out to December 2023 though for the company. I see estimated earnings per share of $6.60 that's a very nice growth from this year's uh, $5.12 that's estimated to come, uh, about 30% gain, actually. So company has seen very strong earnings growth. Uh, valuations are still pretty darn good on the business. You know, We have good estimated growth on the stock price. Uh, balance sheet looked good as well, mm-hmm. I believe. Yep. I, I like the concept. I, I, I like this business here at Lane. And,
0: and also, too, I see the estimates 90 days ago were six thirty-five. so those are increasing. I will point out that the, the numbers are a little bit wider. I mean, the low estimate is 545, the high is 796. But that's the only negative I can see with this company. Uh, I like the concept of it. I like uh, the
1: price. Um, the, and I, I will say, too, that the, the renewable diesel is not the only thing that they right. use their, their feed ingredients for. But it's just something that I, I know they're involved in.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's definitely worth a look to, to uh, invest in this company, uh, Elaine.
2: Oh, great. That's great. So for a long
0: time, you know, for long run. Yeah, long, long run. Unless it becomes overpriced very quickly, we've had that happen. We generally hold for a very long time frame. But I will say over my 40 years of doing this, there has been time we buy a company based on the long term. Six months later, it hits its target sell price, and we do sell it. So yeah. uh, that doesn't okay. happen too often. <laughs> All righty? Okay. Right.
1: right. Thank you so much. Okay, Thanks Lane. For your help. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. All right, let's head out to uh, Santee and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Invest run, Chase. How can we help you?
2: Good morning. Uh, I was wanting to check on LMDX.
0: Okay, and do you hold that or looking to buy it?
2: I, I do hold just a few. I had uh, kind of a flyer, wanted to see what you thought of it.
0: All righty. Uh, looks like it's uh, Lumera. Dx is the company name, I believe. Is the way you pronounce it. The symbol is L- Lumiradex. L- oh, so the so it's got a capital D and a little x, so it's Lumerdex is how how you pronounce it. Okay, and then the symbol is yeah. LMDX. They're in the industry of diagnostics and research. Only 0.3% float here. Institutional ownership, unfortunately, very low. It's 8.6. Now I say unfortunately, that could be a positive because it means maybe more institutions can come in and buy it, or it could be that they just don't like it. Uh, we do see a PE ratio here. Pretty good, 17.6 versus 44.8. Price of sales, one versus 4.8. That's positive. Price of tangible book value, 5.8. Not material for the industry, so that's not a good one for the industry, but company, good for that. And uh, no price of cash flow and no pay ratio, unfortunately. Uh, no earnings per share growth or sales growth over the last uh, year. could be they're just not being reported. Uh, I do see the last reported date was 831. It says next report date 81822. So there should have been something in between there, but um, yeah, we could be missing some numbers here, so be careful if we're going to invest in this company. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. Uh, look at the balance sheet, a nice current ratio 2.9 versus 1.9. Debt to equity is on the high side. Uh, 3.1 versus 9.3 and uh, net profit margins 5.5 versus 12.2 return to equity 19.2 versus 15.9.
1: Uh, a couple of things here that that stand out. Uh, number one's the, the kind of wondering about the filing. I, I noticed there's a, a red flag here that says late filing, uh, uh-huh. so they may have pushed back that file date, which which could be of concern. So I would want to understand what the heck's going on there. Yeah. Are they trying to hide something in their accounting practices? I also do see they have a, a large amount of high stock-based compensation, so that's always something that can dilute the current shareholders. You, you got to really keep an eye on that. Is it, it can it can be quite dangerous in the long term. Uh, looking at the current price here, though, for LMDX, it's a dollar and sixty-eight cents. Wow, uh, fifty-two week high eleven dollars and nine cents. So really falling from there. Fifty-two week low a dollar and thirty cents. So year-to-date return down eighty-one point one percent. So definitely appears to be a very risky stock. I, I do wonder if that late SEC filing is having anything to do with that that stock price movement, or if it came kind of earlier in the year with a, a major decline. Also not sure if they had anything to do with COVID, but I did see there was a uh, COVID kind of testing company that just got hammered the other day because the, the testing is starting to, to pull back a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Uh, going forward to December 2023, though, unfortunately, I see negative 60 cents is the estimate. So I, I can't derive a, a target sell price here. Definitely a, a speculative company rather than that, that value company that we're looking here for. And, Jim, this
0: is a company that, again, you see it down uh, what uh, 80% or something, Chase said. Um, this is one that it could be a great buy where you found one that's been beaten up and the SEC filings and so forth. You've got to read through those and really understand what are the problems. Are they fixable problems? Because if not, yeah, the stock's only $1.68 but well, how low can it go well if it goes down to 80 cents well what's the big deal well you just lost 50 percent more of your money so uh if you're gonna do this you really gotta dig into deep what
1: that what the problem is and can they fix it and the other thing too is that they are headquartered yeah. in the caymans which caymans the caymans oh. yeah so sometimes that has an impact on the institutional ownership and we don't buy adrs in the portfolio again american depository receipts or we haven't in a long time. Right. So I don't know why it has that impact. I haven't looked into it because we don't have any. Or right. looked at buying <laughs> any. So I don't know why the institutional ownership is always so low on the ADRs. It may have something to do with the calculation of it, but that may explain why the, the institutional ownership yeah. is only 8% is because it's a foreign company. Yep. Yeah. So, Jim, I'd be very cautious here.
0: All righty.
2: Okay. Thank you. I, if it's a flyer, I just don't want to get your opinion on it.
0: Okay. Sounds good. Have a good one. Thank Bye-bye. Thank you. Uh-huh. All right, that opens the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go to San Diego and speak with Jerry. Jerry, you're on the Smart Vegetable brand Chase. How can we help you?
2: Oh, yeah. I wanted to uh, see what you thought on AMD. I own some now, and I was just looking to see if it was a good time to add on at all.
0: Okay. Uh, how much are you up or down in it? Wait, where do you stand now?
2: Uh, I
0: average in about 85. Okay. All right. What is it? 85. Okay. All right. Uh, let's say that uh, AMD, that's a symbol. The company is Advanced Micro Devices. They're in the semiconductor industry. Uh, not much float here. 22 uh, 68.6% international ownership. Uh, PE ratio, unfortunately, very high. 42.9 versus 19.7. Price of sales, 6.4 versus 4.8. Price of book value looks good though, 3 versus 4.1. And price of tangible book value, 37.8 versus over 100 for the industry. But a big, uh, again, here's a company with a lot of intangible assets. Again, price of book value, 3. Uh, price of tangible book value, 37.8. So it could be some runoffs on those intangibles. Uh, price of cash flow is 37.5 versus 13.7. Peg ratio is 0.9 versus 4.4 that's a very good pig ratio now i'm surprised on this we do see earnings down 16.7 percent for amd the industry is up 40.8 percent for the one year on the earnings uh, sales did climb by 61.7 percent well above the industry at 9.8 the analysts like this over the next five years they say earnings should grow at 26.8 percent well above the industry at 16.8 they do not pay a dividend. The balance sheet, current ratio, 2.4 versus 3.1. Debt to equity, only 0.1 versus 0.6. And then net profit margin, 14.5, not nearly as good as the industry at 24.9. And return on equity, also a disappointment here, 5.7 versus 26.6. Chase, what do you
1: got? Yeah, so number one, I just want to point out, like AMD, they, they've done a, a – great job competing against intel i mean that's one reason the stock has performed so well is they've they've really done a great job stealing market share back from Mm -hmm. intel i know they've competed for years and i I think they're kind of doing this in the 90s (laughs) back in the 90s they're doing the same thing yeah (laughs) and it seems like amd's kind of got that they don't have the upper hand because intel still has more market share but they've really been gaining market share compared to intel it always concerns me a little bit with amd is uh, if they start to lose back some of that market share because they have been so expensive it could could hit the stock and you will kind of see what I mean when I look at the the numbers going forward but I do want to start with the current price on AMD it's $100.83 so it sounds like you're up a little bit there Jerry. 52 week high $164.46 and the low well that's $71.60. Year to date I I didn't know AMD was struggling this much down about 30% uh, as it's been hit quite hard with uh, many of the other semiconductors as well. Going forward, though, to December two thousand twenty-three, the estimated earnings per share of $4.91. It gives a target sell price of just $81.51, so it's expensive, and that's what I'm talking about here with Intel. Intel can start to steal back some of the market share that they lost. AMD starts to have a slowdown in sales. They're already overpriced. That could hit AMD even more, as it's just expensive at this point. And, you know, I, I did go to the
0: balance sheet and looked at uh, for the recent quarter in June, they had in Goodwill, twenty four billion dollars. And then in intangible assets, they had twenty six billion dollars. And this is and I'm checking the numbers, make sure I'm doing this right. Going back to June 2020, they only had two hundred eighty nine million. You Didn't got they something- buy Xilinx? I think they did that's where it all came Yeah. okay yep so so that's a big thing now again this this could be a problem for them I think we talk about these write downs because that's a lot of intangible assets and goodwill so you could see an impairment down the road so i'd be a little bit careful here and i know everybody loves amd it's you know again taking market share it's doing everything it's it's working on all cylinders here but if they start skipping or something happens here you can see that stock fall more than what he says down year to date, 29% or something. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'd be careful. It, it, it is a great business, but it's a very expensive business with
1: perhaps some things underneath that you won't see on the intangible assets. And and especially if problems. they bought Xilinx at a peak, it seems like they bought it yeah, at yeah. a very expensive time. That is a prime candidate for a write down in future years if it doesn't come back. Yeah. So I'd, I would be careful here, Jerry. All Okay. That sounds great. Hey,
2: thanks a lot. I really appreciate your analysis
0: you're welcome have a good one thanks for calling bye-bye
2: you your life.
0: i was gonna say that opens the phone line but gosh it's uh already about three minutes left of the end of the show so uh and i was shocked on that on on amd that they they had that much goodwill but you're right i, so forgot, that's
1: I forgot that that was a big purchase that they made and i want to say but see one thing
0: too that some companies they might do a big purchase like that or they could have done 10 small purchases over the last you know two three years which could hurt just as much if you had to write all those
1: down. Yeah, and uh, I feel more comfortable with a company that the intangibles or the goodwill happened like 10 years ago because at that point, it's far more unlikely that you're going to have a huge major write-down. As long as that business is integrated well under the company, it, it it's, I think, a, a lower risk. But when you buy a Xilinx-type business, and uh, again, I think, they could have overpaid for it, as everybody was hot on semiconductors at that point. And, you know, if that doesn't pan out the way that they plan, right. that that's when you get that write-down. You know, what's a shocker is that uh, they're down more than uh, Intel is here today. Intel's down
0: 28. I think you said they're down 29.
1: Yeah, well, it's because they were trading at very <laughs> expensive valuations, and, and, and Intel was trading at 10 times
0: already. And Intel does pay that nice dividend, so... And again, we do talk about, And I, I, this is what, 2022? I remember in the 90s when I was investing, uh, AMD would be ahead, not not for a few months, but for years, then Intel. And, and don't think Intel's just folded up their tent and, and gone home. No, they're working very hard to get that market share back. And I think the numbers are somewhere around, I think... Uh, uh, Intel has around seventy-two percent. I think AMD has about twenty-eight uh, percent. I think of the think that. So. so they they can take some of that back, or AMD could continue to do that. But it's just a very expensive company, and be careful of those intangible uh, assets because they they can come back and and people and you'll hear the things. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's not real cash and so forth. But that means why did you buy you said Xilinx at uh, such I a? I believe
1: high, it was Xilinx. There was there was a couple. Acquisitions going on at
0: that time, but yeah. well, whatever the company yeah. was, why'd you overpay for it? I mean, your management, didn't you realize that, you know, we're paying hundred times earnings for this company, hundred times cash, what it may, may be. Why'd you make such a poor decision buying that company now?
1: Yeah. now? I always talk about these growth companies. One reason I really don't like growth investing is you start to reach for growth. Once you hit yeah. a point, you're, you're trading at, you know, 30, 40 times earnings and you're like, well, our earnings are now only growing at 12 We need to find growth you can't just go ask somebody to buy your product that's not going to help you know yeah, right. grow it so you try and reach for growth which is that's always a big concern for me and you know a lot of times people are like oh well they're going to grow at 20 30 percent each year and it's like at some point it just can't happen it's not gonna happen
0: well there's a closing bell thank you for listening to smart investing show it is for information purpose only and should not be used as investment advice if you'd like to discuss some more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself, Brent Wilsey, or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And visit our website to lot more information there, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information, along with investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing, with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week and enjoy your weekend and hope to see you down at Embarcadero Umbar- Park uh, and at the Ranch Monado Inn for Chase. Bye.
2: And may I say